Hello, everyone, and welcome to Blogging Theology. Today, I'm delighted to talk to Dr. Ramon Harvey. You are most welcome, sir. Oh, thanks for inviting me onto the uh, show. Uh, you're most welcome. Uh, Ramon is the Aziz Foundation Lecturer in Islamic Studies at the prestigious Cambridge Muslim College, where they train the next generation of Muslim thinkers. Also, he is the author of the recently published book entitled Transcendent God, Rational World, a Materidi Theology. It's a work of contemporary Muslim theology, drawing substantially on the Maturidi tradition, as well as modern analytic and continental philosophy. Um, so is it possible you could give us uh, an introduction to your new book, Transcendent God, Rational World, a Maturidi Theology, perhaps discussing who Abu Mansur al-Maturidi was, the school of theology that emerged in his name, and the enduring relevance of his thought in 21st century philosophy. But before we come to that, I would just like to read out the surprisingly beautifully written and poetic preface to um, your book um, by way of introduction. Um, and uh, here it is. This is the preface to the new book. I'll just read it. Belief in revelation is a curious thing. On the one hand, it may provoke the believer to desist from systematic rational elaboration of the world and God. Why take the trouble when you believe that God has sent down the Quran, quote, as an explanation for everything? That's Quran 1689. On the other hand, it may propel believers to greater heights of reflection along the lines expressed in the Christian tradition as faith-seeking understanding. The steep mountain trail of theological investigation is not one that all people want nor need to climb. Yet for those walking in its foothills, those who feel called to make the ascent, it becomes an irresistible pull. I can relate to that, by the way. One gathers, one supplies and sets out to navigate the sheer cliffs and treacherous ravines. Often in such an endeavor, one faces no hope of progress without following the tracks left by a greater master who has gone on ahead, perhaps one hopes further than any other. No one knows for sure who has gone furthest, which of the forerunners may have reached the peak, and if such an end point is even within the bounds of human capacity. Nevertheless, we climb. Along the way, we write accounts that detail the unique path we have taken amidst the terrain of concept and argument over the foothills of those who have preceded us long ago and those who still climb with us. Maybe these scrawlings would be useful for others facing the same dangers, those who yearn for the path or those who are comfortable at home, but look up at the mountain from time to time and wonder. This book is such an account and the master behind whom I march is a fourth slash 10th century Samarkandi theologian known as Abu Mansur al-Maturidi. Many thousands of scholars have followed his path, and I can see the signs of some of the more prominent ones around his trail. Sometimes they have diverged and discovered routes to new vistas. Yet his way 
faded and difficult to climb, was somehow still the most bold, deft and original in its approach. It needed to be because it was made during an era in which the very ground beneath the feet was shifting. Perhaps that time has come around again. And so I trace his steps as I forge on. Ramon Harvey, London, 2019, uh, in London. So that's the, the preface, um, poetic preface, as I say, to your book. Great to, it really deserves to be read out like a bit of dramatic oratory. <laughs> so, excuse my uh, indulgence there. But um, so coming back to um, my questions, if it's possible for you to give a, an introduction to your book, to who Almata really was, uh, the school of theology that emerged in his name and, and what relevance that might still have for us in today's world, if that's all right. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, well, I think the, the, the preface gives some of the flavour of the project and, and sort of how I see uh, what I'm trying to do in the book, but it's useful to kind of expand um, to some of the context um, of, the, of, the, of this main figure, El Maturidi, who, who people are not always familiar with, depending on uh, uh, their, their sort of previous experience and, and study and so on. So he is, um, we could say, uh, he's an early... Uh, theologian. He is of the Hanafi school of thought, which is one of the main Sunni schools of Sunni Islam um, to, today. It's what it probably often claimed to be the most uh, populous uh, uh, legal school, um, you know, of, of ritual practice. And it's, it's followed by Muslims all over the world, but particularly in, in the uh, Indian subcontinent, in places like Turkey and Central Asia, and of course, um, uh, in, even in the UK, Many Muslims would subscribe to this school uh, of thought. So it's just been, you know a, a large popular school, and it's been dominant. It's been a big uh, a big deal in Islamic history. Um, and he's from this uh, particular branch of that school in Samarkand. So um, actually, it was the um, Samarkand is in today's uh, Uzbekistan uh, in Central Asia. And what would ha and what happened is some of the the the, the students of Abu Hanifa, who is this second century. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Uh, a theologian and jurist in, in, in Kufa, in Iraq. Some of his students uh, took those teachings back to, to the region, to um, places like Samarkand and, and Balkh and, and, and Bukhara, and this kind of... Um, uh, uh, school developed in that in that region with its own kind of perspective uh, uh, and, and even theological uh, uh, positions that were coming out, and they, which they you know obviously claimed a continuity with the early Muslims and with you know you know correct belief as all the various groups always do. Um, but it's a, it's definitely uh, uh, emerges into one of the main uh, uh, parts of Islamic thought that, that go on to become what today we call Sunni Islam. Um, it's one of the and it's got some very sort of distinctive positions, um, quite rationally focused uh, uh you know abu mansur amatridi you know he's quite a rational thinker um he is going back to um uh, to the quran as well a lot he's a um a, an exegete, exegete of the quran one of the the largest tafsirs one of the largest uh, commentaries on the quran um, that we have and, and from that era is his own work uh, called tatwilatul quran and it's about the same era as uh, al-tabari who's well known as a kind of traditionalist scholar of the Quran and of history. Mm. And and he's and Abamatarudi's tafsir is more focused on reason and on sort of interpretation and thinking. And it brings in his theological perspective. 
And then he's also got uh, this uh, major theological work called Kitab al-Tawheed, which is a, a, a kind of often uh, said to be really the first uh, 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 summa, you know, sort of theological compendium in kind of in what we can call the Sunni tradition. And, and there's, as a note, there's a number of notable uh, uh, sort of developments in this. It is an early text. And of course, the tradition that goes on refines things. As I mentioned, they, they take things in a different direction. But one of the things that he is the fir- one of the first people to do is to write uh, a sort of epistemological introduction. He talks about how do we n- how can we know about knowledge? What are our sources of knowledge? Um, and this had been done previously by the Moctezali uh, uh, school, but within the kind of perspective of kind of Sunni Islam or Sunni consensus, no one had really kind of fully developed this. And it, this becomes a major source for later uh, thinkers in the tradition. Mm. Um, and and he, you know, he's he's quite an argumentative fellow, uh, Maturidi. He's, he's arguing against his various groups, refuting the sects and groups of his time, trying to say that, you know, uh, 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 he talks about Ahlul uh, Haq, the people of, of of truth or of reality, and he said, and he, and he so he tries to give uh, uh, a view which he doesn't really. He, he calls it sort of the general view of the Muslims, but what he means is the kind of uh, majority view of what later is is referred to as the Ahlus Sunnah wal Jamaah. But he, he refers to it as Islam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's in this earlier phase, uh, yeah. but he's like literally. It's funny that um, even his student, he has a student, uh, Rustul Khvani, who I've written an article about, his student is now is is, is fully mentioning Ahl-Sunnah wa Jama'ah, and it's just Maturidi is that step before where they haven't really settled on a terminology. But what they say is it's, um, it, you can think of it as something of a, 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 a reality without a name. There's something there, um, and obviously he, they have certain conditions for how they, they're seeing this, but it's, he's trying to present a kind of majoritarian understanding of the general sense of, of Islam, and it's in in the process of formation. So he's a really important person in kind of what we call uh, uh, general, you know, Islamic theology today. He's an important part in that story of how that came to be the dominant view and how one of this, one of these major schools of thought uh, uh, developed. And, and from that tradition in Samarkand, uh, you know, certain ideas, I could go into more detail about the kind of theological things he's saying, some of the distinctive uh, arguments he makes, um, uh, and maybe I should do that before going on to the tradition. So, so what's his uh, theology um, characterized by? Well, um, he, um, he, he's, he, he, as I said, he's taking from both scripture and revelation, and he's trying to find a harmony between rational argument and and uh, and also taking uh, the scripture, particularly the Quran, seriously. He by no means denies or rejects hadith, but the kind of you know the the the, the vast kind of hadith corpus isn't so much his focus he'll take select certain uh, you know certain traditions he'll use but he's more focused on the quran as being this absolutely undeniable source that all muslims really agree on and then so really from the quran and from reason where do we arrive in terms of these fundamental beliefs and in in doing that um you know he he talks about you know the divine nature and attributes um he talks also about um, how we can you know know that God exists, and I I, I know we're going to speak about that separately uh, mm. in a minute. But um, just in terms of his picture of kind of how well, what can we know about God? He thinks that um, Allah Most High, God, is um, wise, and he and 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 one of the distinctive things that is in in Maturidi's theology, which isn't so much preserved in in the later members of his tradition or in uh, into kind of the general kind of uh, Sunni kalam or Sunni theology, is this idea of the divine wisdom. Um, and this is, in some respects, comparable to certain ideas of the Mu'tazila, but 
what, where it's distinguished is that he sees this wisdom as a distinct attribute of God. Um, it's not, and it's not something that we can fully uh, uh, fathom. So we don't know fully what God's wisdom entails. We don't know kind of its full extent, mm. but we can know some of its extent and we can use our reason to understand that certain things for sure, God would never do those things. So for example, a famous example is, for example, putting the, putting the, the, the belief, putting the prophets, prophets into hell and, and then the disbelievers into paradise, you know, something like this kind of so counter to what the, the message of Islam teaches us about what is, you know, how God will reward the good and, and punish the, the, the bad and so on. God, no, he thinks that we can know that God will be consistent in those kind of things. And we know that for sure. And that's from God's wisdom that there's no question that arises that, oh, well, technically God is powerful enough. He would say, well, God, God has power, but God will not use that power in a way that goes against his own wisdom. Right. And so there's a, 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 what I think the, the advantage of this as a sort of theodical, a theodical view, of, as, a, as a view of kind of how can we kind of understand the, the rhyme and reason of God's actions in the world and, and, and so on, these kind of big questions that do get raised. What, what's, what's an advantage here is that he preserves some of what is attractive in, in, in the Mottesley view, that we have a kind of idea of, of God as just and rationally understandable. God's not just this kind of arbitrary figure who does whatever he wants. And, you know, there is a sense of God's kind of, uh, 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 you know, meaningful wisdom. At the same time, there's no constraint on God's power. We're not saying that it's through our knowledge uh, we can, you know, that God is less free than even a human being or something because it's coming from God's own eternal wisdom. So this is kind of position taken. I think that's quite productive, uh, quite interesting. And I think that that same attribute of wisdom allows other things to be in place. And I write about this in the book um, in, in places, but it allows, for example, us to be sure that, well, God isn't deceiving us. This revelation he, he brings to us is true. There's no question that, it, you know, that, that we could have some kind of worry about divine de deception, which is a, a a problem that can be raised on certain other theories. It provides a kind of uh, uh, an underpinning to um, the, the the communication within Revelation, and and how we know that you know this is uh, another way I explain this in my book is that you know in in conversation with contemporary um, uh, uh, sorts of philosophy of religion is you know that when God enters into a, a sort of conversation with us into a, into speech with us. There's kind of a, a a need to sort of, you know, that speech itself takes on this kind of moral dimension. There's a moral relationship. When you speak with someone, for example, I'm speaking to you now, there's a kind of moral assumption in place that I'm not just making up a whole, whole lot of lies about this mm. book that I didn't even write. Mm. And, that, and, that, and that, that needs to be there for communication to take place. There needs to be some kind of grounding in, in, in morality, even between the level of divine and human being. So how does that happen? Well, this 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 attribute of wisdom kind of is 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 Maturidi's way of, of of doing that, and I think that's a very uh, a powerful and productive approach. Even in contemporary thought, we can it hasn't been fully uh, uh, mined for what it could do for us as a contemporary Islamic uh, theology. I've tried to do some of that. So this is some of the that that's really important. And then there's other things as well um, as a kind of Hanafian uh, uh, theologian, but you know in his in his own uh, uh, from that tradition, he is someone who develops this idea of divine actions being eternal so this is quite interesting so um something like god's cre action of creating you know or of giving mercy or you know anything that god does isn't something that we explain only by oh well, we see a created world therefore we're explaining this but god had will god had power and now there's a created world in front of us therefore in a sense god must have created this world you know we can infer that 
uh, but but it lacks a reality. This is how some of the other schools uh, would look at this. Um, Maturidi sides with them here, not with the Mu'tazila, but with the traditionalists, with you know, with the with the kind of more traditionalist school to say no. These things that we read about in Scripture that God, uh, you know, uh, uh, is 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 pleased or is angry or is 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 merciful, you know, or, or, or creates all these actions of of God are um, real. Uh, eternal elements of God's nature. So, so we're not looking here at a simple God. Uh, any of the Sunni schools that uh, have kind of these substantive or distinct attributes don't see God as simple. Uh, as a, you know, they see God as um, you know they, they they have an interesting way of trying to relate these attributes without no, allowing. No, 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 can I just pause you that? Sorry, yeah. I, 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 yeah, I know you're in full flow. I do apologise. It's just no, no. For, for for my own benefit and for the sure. benefit of the viewers. You just use a term there, which um, might not be uh, very clear. Um, yeah. uh, God is not simple. Yeah. What does that mean? Because uh, in, in lay language, that kind of well, God's not simplistic, simple. What does that I mean? You're using this in a particular philosophical, theological sense. So, what does yes. this mean? The simplicity. Yes. 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 So, so divine simplicity <clears throat> is a doctrine. It's it's not. It's talking about kind of. Um, uh, it's 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 talking about the lack of any distinct properties, right? So if so, to say God is simple is in some sense to say that that God's attributes, so for example, God's power, knowledge, speech, these kind of attributes that are affirmed of God, hmm. don't have their own kind of distinct kind of reality, or you know, they're in some way explained away in some sense. Now, there's different ways and tactics to do that. Now, this was the dominant view in in, in medieval Christianity, uh, divine simplicity, and it was the view of the Moctezilla as well. And, and the, it was the, the, this perhaps has its roots in, in a kind of Hellenistic uh, or Greek philosophical, the, the simplicity yeah. of God. So that God is not made of parts. You know, yes. Yeah. Stasis, different uh, attributes, which are somehow separate from god so no he, he's all a one piece he's one he's simple yeah yeah so so the, the complexity here of course is that hmm. in his in, in all, all muslims will say god is one god is you know that's this is tawhid there's no persons obviously in the trinitarian sense but right. they will say god is one but then what does god being one mean this is where the debate opens up hmm. and um according as you say to, to kind of uh sort of neoplatonic thought and so on there was uh this idea that perfection was entailed by being completely free of any internal distinctions so to speak yeah. and that the one so 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 no so you know maturidi like other sunni theologians there's no question here he denies god has any parts god can't be decomposed in any sense um god has no you know corporal reality actually god is not in time nor space for for maturidi but there's this question about okay is god's speech something that is in a sense individuated mm. like it's it's you know or is just his speech and his knowledge and you know all these qualities are they just really in a sense are they metaphorical are they somehow something that we're from our side we use them to point to god but they're not but really in himself he's just undifferentiated and what Maturidi is saying is no and this is a common to sunni kalam is no god really does have this kind of these these um these different properties Right. Without, without, and, and, and there's a formula that really uses, which is, uh, uh, you know, that for example, this attribute of speech is neither God nor other than Him. So yeah. they use a kind of formula. This is uh, uh, used earlier on by uh, Ibn Kulab, an earlier theologian, most famously, but and others. And this is used as a kind of formula to kind of 
trying to almost, you know, it is a difficult question of like, well, how can we have... Thank you for that, by the way. That was yeah. very clear. Yeah. Could you just repeat what you've just said about that format? Because it, it, it's frustratingly inconclusive. It's both asserting and non-asserting at the same time. Uh, yeah, to, yeah. To so it's... And there's, debate, there's debate over how to explain this. I mean, I, I don't... It could get into a very, very deep conversation. I, I, um, okay. I, I didn't mean to precipitate that. I just, could you yeah. just repeat the phrase again a bit? Yeah, slower. so, so, so um, the, phase, the, phase, the, phase, the phase is kind of, in, in, lit, lit, in the literal sense, yes. um, it's, it's kind of e- neither the, the, the attributes, for example, speech is neither God yes. nor other than him. Right. Now, right. Some, Thank you. some ways to read that phrase, and other, in, uh, you know, I, I think Maturidi reads it in that way. In, in the Ashari tradition, it's it's and and it, this comes into the matter tradition. It, it can also be taken as neither God nor separable or separate from Him. Mm. The attribute. So it's so it's so it's yeah. slightly different than the idea of other. And there's a lot of deep debate. And I, as I said, just I was mentioning. Um, I have uh, students at the Cambridge Muslim College, and this is one of the topics that we study in 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 theology. And I would say that of all the topics we covered over the year, this was the hardest topic by by far. It's also absolutely absolutely fascinating. It, it's almost um uh, um. It, it's paradoxical. Uh, without going into it, it, it seems because par- you're both asserting and, and, and not asserting. Yeah. So, so I, there's a question of of I would the way I take it in in my book, and this may be of some controversy overall, but the way I take it as is it's um, what you can call it's not a what's called a logical glut. It's not a um, something that's a contradictory statement, like to say that it is God and not God. That mm-hmm. would be contradictory. You know, and you'd have to like affirm that there can be some contradict true contradictions, which I, which I don't think. But it, it is a, what you can call a logical gap. Mm. It's basically so. I think it implicitly is a denial of what's called the law of the excluded middle, mm. which is a, one of one of the other logical laws. But it's I don't think it's as problematic as the law of contra, of non contradictions. So basically, what you're saying is we're basically we're saying we're, we're we're kind of unable to fully define it as one or the other. Yes. And where I would see that is, OK, this is a place where to some extent our language and our con- concepts do stop. <clears throat> there is a there is a limit in, in trying to fully. But I think that's still better than, you know, from my from the Maturidi perspective and generally from Sunni Kalam. That's better. If you take it that way, it's better than kind of fully allowing these attributes to be kind of fully allowing separation within God, fully allowing this, you know, you know, utterly distinct parts per se, and or which is, you know, this is why the simplicity notion is sometimes attractive because that seems really unacceptable. Yeah. But at the same time, to fully get rid of the distinctiveness of the attributes, then does God really speak? Does God really yeah, know? Exactly. You know, exactly. You know, and 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 almost there is a, a case to be made. Well, why should? It seems to be a, a prejudice to say, well, God has to be the most simple thing, like. Why would that necessarily have to be the case? It just seems it relies on a certain way of yeah, a, a, a certain Greek world. Hellenistic worldview, yeah. of course, which is where this precisely yeah. where this comes from from um, secular yeah. Greek philosophy, and yeah, yeah. Uh, and and that's why uh, in our world today, in the twenty first century, perhaps coming to, to this now, that, that that is not a presupposition. I don't think of our worldview, our Weltanschauung that we inhabit anymore. Although you argue in, it might still be echoes of it, perhaps I don't know. Yeah. So, um, th- I mean, there's strong, there's, there's arguments for sure. I mean, like, you know, there, there are, there are, there are those t- till this day and, you know, and it's very strong in Christian theology, it's strong in certain groups yes. 
of Islam, if not Sunni Islam, um, to say very strongly, this is a really, you know, this is what we should want of our conception of God. But I do think that if you if you take scriptural language seriously, and, and Maturidi does, and I try to, then you want to be able to affirm these different attributes. And in fact, Maturidi puts no limit on the number of attributes that God may have. You know, there may be, I even will say, there might maybe attributes we don't even know about. You know, why should this be a, a limitation that, that everything has to just be sort of ultimately kind of uh, without uh, individuation? But mm. it's, it's, a, it's a rich topic. But anyway, so this is some of the complexity of his thought. And, you know, as soon as you open up into theological debate, especially about the divine nature, you kind of immediately fall into these really deep issues. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but just to take a step back, uh, Maturidi has other... Uh, positions to give him his wider sense in the book i focus on these questions of kind of epistemology the nature of knowledge ontology and metaphysics the kind of nature of the world and of god and divine nature mm-hmm. and then um uh you know the divine attributes and i and i kind of take things through wisdom through his you know eternal creation creative action and into divine speech in the quran and i stop the book short at that point mm-hmm. um and there's a lot more that can be said um, as you move on to like other topics that are covered by uh, theology, such as prophecy, such as uh, human action, such as the question of free will and fate and all of these other topics that will come up, come up as well. And I've kind of left those for hopefully a future treatment. And I've been working on various things, but uh, there's a plan for a follow up book, essentially, that will cover uh, these. A sequel. Wonderful. A sequel that will, will, will be basically on this question of theological anthropology, kind of uh. the human okay the, the the dimension of the human being in relation to god which i think is really well, important well, well that that actually oh, without going into perhaps a book you haven't re- re- uh, written yet but is you know um can can be sound very can be very uh, contemporary re- relevance in, ter- in terms of identity politics and what it means to be human uh and be made in the uh as male and female and you know you can see where this is going into uh a theological anthropology undergirds this and a lot of, a lot of work has been done on this question in christian uh, theology yeah. course already yeah, sure. uh, and i notice in your book for example you quote um raymond uh rowan williams i should say uh rowan <laughs> williams at the beginning uh obviously he was a former archbishop of canterbury and he's at cambridge or was until his retirement at cambridge university as well very eminent christian theologian who you in a sense dialogue with uh to some extent in in that book um but but also uh, in terms of its contemporary relevance, your, your book you mentioned um, how Al Masaridi in his work Kitab Al Tawhid, which you just already mentioned, develops rational arguments for the existence of God and the existence of God. Uh, in uh, these, these arguments for existence of God is quite an important element of Dawa these days. Could, could you could you give us a summary of how he establishes the existence of a creator? Yeah. Um, okay. So um, he is you know, an early figure, um, and he is got a, an early version of what's become very famous today um, uh, as revived by William Lane Craig as the Kalam cosmological argument. Yeah. So he's, he's got two main types of argument that he will be using. One is this cosmological argument, which is the, uh, you know, generally of the Kalam type, which I can talk about in a minute. And he also has a t- sort of teleological argument. So he has mm-hmm. kind of, you know, these arguments to do with, uh, uh, to some extent with design, but also with other inferences about particular elements of, of the world. So the first thing he does is he argues for the, the world not being eternal, mm. right? So this is an important um, aspect of the argument in conversation with um, philosophers of the time, Hellenic philosophers who did think that the world was eternal. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And of course, also with materialists, the so-called 
Dahriya, they were sort of eternalists who said, well, if the world is has always been here, then there's no need for a creator God to to um, to, to create it. So there's two kind of perspectives. There's the, the, the sort of completely atheistic materialists who he was arguing against, and then there's the philosophers who did believe in in God in a sense, different conception of God, but thought that the world was kind of eternally emanated or eternally uh, it, it created by this God in some sense. And he, and he denies both of these views by making arguments um, that, of course, that the world um, did have, uh, you know, that everything we see in the world sort of um, has an origin and, you know, it's, and basically that any kind of past regress is impossible. So kind of um, there's, you know, a, 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 a sort of an actual infinity you know, going backwards toward you know in in the prior temporal direction is an impossibility. This is very well, similar. Well, well, well why? Uh, I, I thank you. Well, could you just explain briefly why an infinite regress, in other words, is impossible, logically impossible? Yeah, yeah. So, so basically, um, um, you know, there's different ways to 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 to, to make this argument, hmm. but um, what um, uh, uh, someone like Maturidi would depend on is that time you know the, the the flow of time that we experience mm. is in the is is a, is a progress so what that means is we can can he coherently understand that there can always be a subsequent moment going into the the future so to speak so iteratively we can add on and this is how someone like Maturidi will hold that well indeed believers will forever uh, uh, you know be you know uh, live in paradise forever and there'll always be another day right because and and there's no they never actually reach an actual infinity uh, in the in the future because they're still finite beings um unlike god who's completely out of time uh, mm. and, and infinite in, in that sense eternal but in, in there is a kind of unending future for sure um, this is this is standard kind of uh, doctrine of Maturidi and many and many the, uh, the, the um, uh, um, uh, theistic thinkers have the same view. Now, when you come to the past, though, there's this question of okay, where do you start from? And if you're saying that the past really indefinitely, you know, actually goes, you know, forever, then mm. it would seem that there's no way for this infinite but starting from that infinitely distant past, you can never, as it were, reach to this present moment that you're in, because hmm. because you would have to tra traverse an infinite amount of time. If you look, think, remember back to the, the future case, you're to get to any point of the future, however far it extends, you've only tra traversed up to that point a finite amount of time. You know, you've you've lived a finite number of years, even if it never ends. Um, you know, in 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 the paradise, but in the past. To get to now, there would have to be this traversal of an infinite series. And generally, the view of, you know, of the kind of uh, philosophy of mathematics, you know, implicitly that someone like Maturidi is working with, is this kind of Aristotelian notion that, um, you know, in general, you can't have this kind of uh, actual infinity. So he's basically against the idea of there being kind of this actual infinity towards the, the, the present. Okay. It, would have to be it would have to be only potential, and in which case, in the past direction, it's be already been traversed, so it's finite. So he kind of rejects this idea, and in various ways, um, he will show. Also, other kinds of arguments are made that, you know, everything that we're seeing in in the world. Um, uh, so there's a different type of argument he also makes um, with this is that he will say that everything has these kind of um, sort of contingent features. Right. Everything, you know, is 
we see everything, for example, splitting apart um, and, and joining back together. And it can be in either of the two states. So there has to be something that decides, you know, what state things are in. It, they, you know, they, they, they can't be inherently as they are. There needs to be something that gives them their definitive yeah. nature. There's, there's options in the world. So this is what's uh, an early version of what you can call a kind of contingency cosmological argument. Yeah. And so I, I kind of say, if you <clears throat> put the two together, you've got your Kalam argument. But if you ignore the stuff about the past, even just on the point of contingency, you can get to a kind of <clears throat> some kind of contingency argument that there must be an, a some you know a, a, a sort of necessary being. But Matsuridi doesn't himself, you know, fully embrace this language of kind of the, the possible and the necessary. He's more interested in uh, uh, you know the idea of like change and then there being this eternal being that's beyond change. But what was it Ibn Sina who developed that really that language of and yeah, and that's after that, that's actually after that's long, long, time. Centuries. Not long. I mean, Ibn Sina would live about 100 years later. Oh, is it 100? So, yeah. Quite wrong. Ibn okay. Sina is, yes, Ibn Sina is <clears throat> about 100 years after him. And then his influence is even a bit after that. So you, what we get, and this is a good segue into talking about tradition, you get later figures in Maturidi's tradition who will start to integrate some of these Ibn wow. Sina ideas and develop it in that direction. So you do, you do see these uh, uh, d- developments. But I would say also on the um, theological, uh, sorry, on the, the arguments for God, he also has these various sort of teleological arguments. We're talking about that, you know, um, you know, that the, there's 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 some higher purpose that things things ha- the world has a meaning. And this is a big uh, emphasis for uh, Maturidi. He says the world the world has a purpose, mm. and the the purpose of the world, you know, is actually to sustain. Uh, uh, beings who are able to recognize their creator and creator and worship their creator. So mm. he kind of makes these arguments that we see that things uh, uh, in the world, ha- you know, have purpose and meaning. Well, how can this be explained other than there is one to which, uh, you know, there is this this purpose is 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 is, is um, you know, who has created that purpose and who's the sort of the sustainer and an ultimate uh, reason for our existence. So he makes these kind of arguments. Um, looking at particular elements of the world, and he has some other interesting arguments as well. Um, some of which will not be uh, maybe so um, uh, um, popular today. Um, for example, he makes an argument, and he's, he, this is distinctive. He makes an argument for the existence of God from the existence of evil in the world. Oh, well, these days, we often get it's an argument against the existence of God. You know, the problem of evil. There's evil, hmm. and if God is all good and all powerful, how can there be evil in the world? This is the problem of evil that gets raised. Well, Maturidi, and this is, I think, you know, not going to necessarily be popular today. I'm not saying this is a strong argument that we need to take, but it's interesting that he's making it. He says, well, if 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 there was no, um, you know, if the world was just on its own without any creator, then it would just seek to be in the best state, <laughs> so that we wouldn't see any evil. So the fact there's evil shows that there's someone in the world who has placed that evil in there for a wise purpose. This is this kind of reasoning. Now, this, I think, depends on a principle that we wouldn't accept, kind of, a, um, an, you know, some sort of idea of, like, the world seeking the best for itself, seeking perfection. It's, again, uh, coming from a kind of, I think, um, quite platonic place, that, you know, yeah. neoplatonic place. Uh, that argument, I don't think we'd accept it. I, I noticed sort of something similar, I think it's um, one of Aquinas' arguments, um, uh, for the five, he has the famous five ways. <clears throat> One of his arguments, I think it's the fourth way, has some some sort of idea about gradations of perfection. You know, I've and so it's, it's, so it's kind of there's some interesting, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, there's some interesting. Um, it's in the book. Um, uh, one can read it, but like um, there's some 
interesting idea here that he's he's looking at the world is like he's saying well there, there's some there must be a being outside of the world for the world to be the way it is and that includes even so using even the idea of evil as a as an argument for for there being uh, uh you know uh, one who decides that which is a, is an interesting concept so this is Maturidi. he's a very um i should say he's a tricky thinker he's he's, <laughs> he's, he's, he's before the kind of settling down of sunni kalam into like these distinctive uh, you know, it's mode. So he's got a whole load of positions that don't necessarily match up to what is later hmm. kind of considered the theological orthodoxy, but still yeah. from his perspective sticks within the broad doctrines of what, you know, of the, of the, of the sort of what we call Sunday creed. But in terms of the theological positions, it's <clears> quite <throat> interesting. And, and I found that quite freeing as, and this is what I alluded to in the in, uh, preface hmm. that as someone today in the world, um, you know, we're not just, in this long medieval or pre-modern period, we're in this very uh, 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 contested m modern world, lots of uh, philosophical views in play, lots mm -hmm. of debates, lots of positions being considered, a breakdown of kind of many forms of traditional authority. And people really want reasons for things. They don't just want to hear that so-and-so said so and it's in this school. They want to have good arguments in place. And I think Matsuridi, he's just a really interesting thinker. And so he gives resources for us to, go through this process of thinking and reflecting and trying to choose the best possible arguments and the best possible thoughts. So even if we don't always agree with him, he's a great conversation partner in, in thought. And uh, I also draw from this. He's yeah. a, a great, I like that, what you just said there, a great conversation partner. So you're not advocating we become dis his disciples and blindly follow his uh, tradition. Of, of course you're no. not. But, uh, but he's someone who can stimulate our, our thinking, offer off new or remind us of arguments that uh, he, he offered before, and that can help us engage in conversations with others. So that's sure. a, a, a very worthwhile exercise. Yeah, yeah, for <clears> sure, yeah. This is exactly what, what I was thinking. And so I so my approach in the book anyway, just to say uh, this is that I take um so from, from Maturidi himself, I take from some of his earlier followers, I also look at the classical Maturidi tradition, and I try to see, you know, I take from whatever I feel is best and then put that, that into conversation with contemporary thought as well. So it's quite a, you know, someone reading the book will get these different sources. You'll see, oh, here's the interpretation of, of Maturidi. Here are these subsequent figures and what they're saying and how that in some respects, shifts the discussion or they leave what he says and I say we go back to it or they develop what he says and I approve those developments, however um, I, you know, I see it. And then there's this question of like, well, how do we engage today? And then there's you know, different camps there. Mm. There's the um, kind of a big, uh, uh, a big attention there is to Christian philosophical theology. So kind of Precisely on that, I wanted to, yeah. if I may, uh, ask you about sure. William Lane Craig, Professor William Craig, who I'm actually have yeah. the the honour of speaking to tomorrow on this oh, channel. Wow. Uh, no, indeed. Oh, wow. Yes, <laughs> I, I, I was oh wow when he agreed. Um, and we're going to be uh, it, the conversation will be in two parts. One is going to be on the Kalam cosmological argument, the very subject you mentioned, and the second part is going to be on the historical Adam. He's just published some work on uh, the existence of historical Adam in light of scripture and contemporary science. That's a separate issue, obviously. But um, I was going to ask you um, about him uh, because he's probably the preeminent Western uh, philosopher of religion when it comes to this argument. And the argument, obviously, as you say, and he acknowledges it, is a Muslim argument. It's a, the kalam is a giveaway, the Arabic word for speech, you know, means theology. Um, so how, how has he um, taken this? How has he he's adopted this argument? Has he, is it basically unreconstructed? al-Maturidi theology or has he developed it in a particular way that 
gives it a distinctive emphasis in his own yeah. exposition. I mean, he uh, openly um, is taking it from Al-Ghazali, of course. Uh, Al-Ghazali um, uh, presents this argument in his works. And Craig, to his absolute credit, you know, in, in, and I say this to, 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 you know, to some of my uh, colleagues, some of my Muslim colleagues, you know, in 1979, I think it was, Craig, you know, publishes this book where he takes Al-Ghazali's argument, something that had been there in the tradition for all this time, yeah. and he put it in a language and in an engagement with contemporary thought that made it a real contender. And of course, many of the contemporary philosophers of religion don't like it, and they argue yeah. against him, but it's been the most discussed argument <clears throat> in the last 40 years. Exactly. Um, and he's put it really on the table as a credible you know, option in debate. You know, not everyone agrees with it, but it's definitely there, and he's defended it, and, he's, and there's a whole school of people that have like uh, uh, added to these discussions on it. And I try to engage some of that material myself and add my small part to that discussion. But it's absolutely to his credit, because this was always there. Someone could have done this in, in the 50s, in the 40s, in the, you know, and he uh, did that. So that's an achievement for sure. And then he's actually backed that up. He's not just stuck with the argument, although he has defended it in various places. But, you know, he's actually gone on and like seen, well, OK, this raises some other questions about um you know, mathematics, and he's gone into like questions, you know, other philosophical debates about abstract objects, you know, things that are related to defending this argument, he's had to go into those. So, you know, I, I really think, you know, he's been a really important thinker that, you know, the Muslim scholars should be engaging with his works, uh, you know, critiquing, uh, engaging, benefiting from, and, and I've, I've learned a lot from reading his books. Mm. So, so he's, he's restating Al-Ghazali in a contemporary context, but he's not developing it. I mean, I haven't attended uh, too much uh, to the argument as he's put, he's put it, uh, but he hasn't Christianized it in any particular No, it, it, I mean, it's, it, is what, it is what it is, which is right. some people have an issue with this argument that, that, you know, it gets you to a kind of, it gets you to a, what, what the Kalam cosmological argument does is it gets you to a meta, you know, a, a cause of the universe, of the, of the, you know, of the, what is the cause of the cosmos? Yes. And it gets you to that cause being necessary, right? Being metaphysically necessary, but right. it doesn't tell you that that cause has to be God. Right. Other arguments have to come in at that point. Other analyses have to come in to sort of say, well, for there to be a cause that's causing the entire uh, u universe, then that has to be God. And, and here's why. And this is where I think you're going to bring in kind of teleological type arguments to say, well, this uh, cause has to have intelligence. It has to have order and uh, exquisite fine tuning. And this speaks yeah. of intelligent design to use this. Yeah. So, 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 so you can bring in these other elements to support the argument. This is what I do in my book. And I, and I think implicitly um, that's, that's already there in the kind of is, you know, in Ghazali's analysis, those things are already coming in. He's starting to bring in these ideas. Like, you know, if we're saying that, you know, God is selecting, you know, uh, 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 one world rather than another to create, then that's showing a kind of intelligence in him, in what he's choosing. Um, there's various, it gets into, again, into, into deep waters, but for sure, Craig is, is, is adding those elements in and he's trying to reach a theistic argument. But anything to do with like a purely, like a Christian analysis, that's going to have to come in, you know, I mean, ultimately through some kind of, I don't know, I've not seen his full theology of, Obviously, he is a Christian th thinker and he will have these other arguments, mm. but I think he's going to have to be bringing in sort of Christian scripture yeah, and I, some I, sort, I, you know, I, those kind of things. Yeah, like, yeah. And I'm not sure exactly how he fits that in, but that's not strictly a part of this initial formulation of the cosmological argument or even of 
um, you know, the, the 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 creator is God, that the creator is intelligent, and you know, the creator, you know, has power, and you know, these kind of essential attributes will be shared by Muslims and Christians, and then there'll be debates on exactly how to characterize the yeah. divine nature, as as we already was discussing earlier on. So I think that um, you know, on these kind of areas, there's there's much room for kind of collaborative discussion, debate, and mm. development of ideas, and then of course at some point you're going to reach to certain big these big things will come up, these big uh, uh, distinctions. And, but, but I think for the, you know, as far as, you know, as I, as I understand it as a, as a Muslim thinker, you know, these like Christian ideas of kind of the Trinity of, um, you know, in, incarnation of Christ and atonement, none of that is kind of, you know, defend, you know, the Christians don't even try to really often defend it that rationally. It's something that's coming from certain traditional or scriptural commitments that they have based on their understanding. And of course that Muslims reject. Um, so I don't think that on the, the, the these things, they, they do get offended in the philosophy of religion, but in my view, they're, they're difficult. You know, they're, 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 they're very hard to defend rationally. They're, and most more, of the, they're much more yeah, yeah. convoluted and complex. I mean, Augustine uh, famously wrote a book on the Trinity, defending it in terms of the, the, uh, the models available in his day to do with the human psychology yeah, yeah. of consciousness, very, very um, uh, co complex uh, and perhaps convoluted argument. And, and people have since then Anselm and Aquinas, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This has been going on for this yeah. constant kind of delving into this, trying to elucidate, explain uh, the mystery yeah. of, no, of the of course, three, I mean, three and one. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, these things, I mean, obviously there's an attempt to, to, to sometimes rationally defend these things, but they're often the kind of, that I think even acknowledged often by 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 Christian scholars themselves as the least convincing rational part <laughs> yeah. of what they're doing, where the the, the stuff on like the, the you know a necessary creator is m on much stronger grounds to be able to argue with like for example atheists or people, who, you know normally that's a more internal conversation I find but yeah, yeah. you know um, but yeah it's 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 a it's a rich area of discussion and um, actually I actually benefit a lot from my um, you know from Christian colleagues um, who you know, you know, read my work or I read their work. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of common ground on theistic topics. And then of course mm. there's these areas of difference where um, there's big, big, big gaps in, in, in belief and understanding. I mean, it's a real a change of subject. I don't really want to go into this because it's not re relevant strictly, but I, I remember reading and, and understanding that in Christian theology, the kind of the fashion in recent decades has been to reject the idea of God being timeless, existing outside of time, and the God is is somehow more imminent, uh, everlasting. To use the jargon of the, he's an everlasting God. So there's a temporal uh, succession of God ever, being everlasting, but not eternal in the sense of outside time. And there'll be the emergence of process theology with people like Pitchinger and others. Uh, um, is it? Have you? Do you still encounter that? That is kind of fundamental difference on the. Uh, a god uh, as timeless or in time it, 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 is this a, a distinctive uh, defense now in, in islamic the islamic position yeah so in in islam um the kalam tradition have always um gone with a um you know to some you know god is definitely eternal mm. um not within time um and and often understood as 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 like thoroughly timeless mm. and this actually is in, in agreement with the classical Christian uh, yeah. positions, exactly. and then you do get some exceptions. Certain groups, um, there's you know, have some more of a, a more time understood. Uh, you know, for example, the Karamiya 
had some sense of uh, uh, God's kind of temporal, mm. having temporal actions. I think you find elements of this in the thought of Ibn Taymiyyah, actually. So you do get some, you know, it's a very much a minority position for the Muslim thinkers uh, in the pre-modern time. And I think because of, obviously, this contemporary philosophical theology in the, uh, um, you know, in, in, in the Islamic world is still in its early stages, there hasn't been much of a revisiting of those ideas. And I certainly don't try to move away from this, eternality of god myself in the book is very clearly still there but in christian thought there's been much more of a revisiting of this idea the concern i think is is you know there there are are worries about some of the certain you know there's there's worries both ways there's 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 certain problems that get raised by eternality there's certain problems that get raised by temporality in terms of theological accounts and both sides will have their arguments, but it's become much more popular, as you say. I think uh, actually something is potentially something you might not want to go into it, but with um, uh, with um, Lane Craig, he, I, I believe his position is that God is eternal. Yeah. But then when he creates the world, he then it becomes sort of in a sense in time in the world. So it's kind of a shift from eternality to mm-hmm. temporality. And I think with the Christians, there may be a motivation that they want to somehow explain that. Um, how the incarnation could happen or something. Well, this, this is the, the, the great, the great problem because God, God then is literally in flesh, in, in, incarnate. Uh, and, you know, how, how then do you relate the eternal to the temporal? Yeah. And it's, it gets rather yeah. complicated, if not impossible. For sure. Uh, and in Islam, of course, we, we don't have the same thing, but we, we have the question of like the Quran yes. and how to understand, you know, how it is that we recite a Quran that is Allah's speech and yeah. that we were holding to be eternal. And the, so there is a, uh, uh, there are kind of other, you know, I, I talk about that bit in, in the book actually. Um, so that that comes up as, as as another. So there's always a theological account to be made, but mm. I haven't come across. I have come across this, and I find it a very interesting uh, uh, debate to be following. Something that I recently uh, uh, that came up was quite interesting is that the, the, an argument can be made that if you make God temporal, which seems on the face of it kind of okay, well maybe that's acceptable. Do you then make God spatial? Because can you separate space and time so distinctly? It seems to me that in many ways the space, space and time come together. I mean, it's particularly become That's obvious. Einstein, so Einstein. Yeah, I mean, Einstein made this really obvious. Just... Saint Augustine in uh, in the last chapters of his book, The Confessions, uh, which I read, uh, actually argues on a pure rational basis for uh, that exactly the same point, without basing it on science, that space and time must have been created at the same time. <laughs> to use a, uh, an inappropriate expression, um, and that indeed that was that was uh, agreed upon by Einstein many centuries later. Yeah, yeah. So, so this is a, a problem, I think, because I think that even if you know many contemporary theologians, mm-hmm. you know, particularly in the Christian tradition, may be okay with God in time, yeah. But to say God is in space seems to be much more problematic, and it does seem to be a connected doctrine. That might be hard to get get away from. So, you know. Mm-hmm. It's all a rich area of, di- of ongoing discussion, I think, in the coming years, mm. how these things will get sorted out and how Islam becomes um, a member of... I think what is important is that Islam and Islamic theology becomes part of these debates and discussions in the modern world, that we're not just yes. speaking to ourselves and re- regurgitating arguments from a thousand years ago or 800 years ago, whatever it is. But we, we take the best of the, of all of that uh, tradition, whichever parts we're specialized in or can, can benefit from. And then we draw it into these contemporary discussions in a, in a really uh, engaged way. And I think that we'll, we'll see something uh, quite marvelous from that engagement.
No, I, I think that's an excellent point, uh, actually. Um, so to just a, a, a very boring technical historical question here. You mentioned Al-Ghazali <clears throat> providing the, uh, the argument that William Lane Craig uh, has popularly uh, um, shared in the Western context. But Mataridi also had the argument, the argument from contingency, the, arg- the cosmological argument. So is, is it Al-Ghazali's particular formulation that Craig adopted? But, the, but, but Al-Ghazali didn't invent the argument. Is that right? It, it preceded him. Um, yes. So, I mean, it actually was, uh, again, a lot of these theological doctrines, you uh, find them in the uh, these earlier Motesali thinkers who were coming up with this stuff. Um, to be honest, the I think the cosmological argument in, in some form is even going back into the Christian tradition before that, potentially in some way. But of course, in every iteration, it gets expressed in slightly different language. Right. You know, it gets, you know, the, the, the core intuition hmm. that you know we look at the world and we think well this must have come from you know this this world is temporal this world is contingent in some way there must be some someone beyond it that isn't you know it's basically it's a regress argument unless we posit this necessary being this creator so i think in its in its kind of simplest form it's kind of very obvious to kind of uh different believe uh, different believers different traditions and then it's really about like well what language do we put it into and how do we defend the premises and how do we, you know, solve the problems that come along with it? So, you know, I don't, I think Ghazali, you know, he's particularly important just as this very, he's the person that, that Craig of course went to because it's Al-Ghazali. He's like one of the only, <laughs> he's one of the only kind of, yeah. we could say Sunni, you know, that like Western figures know about. He's known right. in the Christian Latin tradition. He's just well known, but of course he's, he, there's a reason for that. He's a, he's a great figure and, but yeah, in terms of what he's doing, it's not that he's particularly original in it, as far as I know. He's just um, a, a very representative uh, uh, user of the argument. So I think now the debate is really how to, you know, there's all these sub-discussions that have emerged from it. How do we solve these various problems? How do we put forward this, uh, you know, a, a cosmological argument that can, uh, you know, win out against competitors? I'm not myself you know, uniquely focused on that particular question of natural theology. It does, does come up in the book. I think it's interesting. Um, but my publication is, is quite, my publication is quite wider than that. So I haven't really done more than the book. I haven't done anything specific on this uh, argument, but it's a, a interesting area. But, but it, the, the argument is in, in its own unique way stated in the Quran, of course, this is not something that comes from Christian tradition or from the ancient Greeks or because this, this is actually in in scripture itself, that the idea of the eternality of God and the createdness of everything in the universe or the universe yeah. itself. And therefore you, 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 you get the, 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 the raw materials for a more philosophical theology as it was developed later on by Al-Ghazali. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Like I think that you, you what you get, um, you, what you get in, in in the Quran is the the essential insight onto you know the you know onto the need need for rationality, onto um, some elements you know the the core elements of, of the argument. But it's not formalized. It's not no. you know it's not uh, philosophized. And so um, that that's you know what what comes later with these Mutakalimin uh, and with the various thinkers is that they take what's already there implicitly you know as a scriptural argument and they turn it into something that can stand up in a in a in a kind of philosophical or or interreligious context or whatever so Mm. you know i I think that um you know it's just a different genre of writing it's a different activity and so it's important that we i do think it's important to develop and at the same time there is completely respectable for someone to say well you know what when I read the Quran, that's enough for me. 
as well. Yes. You know, so yeah. you know, there's there's different because the, the vast majority. I mean, it's clear here. Although what you're doing is clearly of of great value and valid in in its way. But the vast majority of humankind, people, just everyday people, are not going to be formalizing their reflections on the Quran and see. And as you say in your preface, very, very poetically, this is, this is this is not a mountain that everyone's going to want to climb. Uh, but some people will. And, and to offer rational defense in the contemporary world where there are Christian theologians, Lindley and Craig, who in other areas are advocating um conceptions of God, uh, which are uh, obviously at odds with the Muslim conception, mm. then there arguably needs to be a response on that level. Mm. Um, so there's a, there is that kind of re- uh, necessity really to respond, as well as a philosophical exposition for those who want to do that. But most people won't, I think, isn't it? They're going to be happy. Is that one of Ibn Taymiyyah's great points is that you know that the, the natural reading from the fitra of of scripture is is the, the one that the vast majority of people will have, and that's perfectly fine and perfectly valid. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I the way I see it, this this particular question is that, uh, and then this is actually drawing from from Maturidi as well, is that as long you know, obviously, an individual's personal understanding is not something that we um, you know need to question. Like anyone individually can have any. Um, uh, uh, understanding that they that they have they have their own personal convictions and so on that's all wonderful but when it comes to a kind of more you know like at the level of a society at the level of a community it's important that people are able to refer to at least you know within that community someone or some group of people who are able to kind of vindicate these things justify them in the face of opposition so i think you know this is the role that's traditionally been held by the sort of ulama by by scholars that they can be referred to and the people, you know, can be given an explanation. And to some extent, if people want to learn these things, they can. But there's not a requirement on every individual to kind of have like, you know, these these proofs or to make them, uh, 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 you know, win out against every other option. And I think that's normal and that's a sensible way to, to manage things. So there's a there's a place certainly for these kind of philosophical and theological debates. And there's a place for just the, the ordinary belief of the ordinary believer. And both of, are completely valid and they're you know, they all they each have their their role to play. So I think that you know that that can be done. There are some interesting d- debates over exactly how to kind of characterize the kind of ideal epistemology, uh, uh, and 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 this is something that like, uh, a current research project that I'm uh, leading, um, based at the Cambridge Muslim College, called um, Beyond Foundationism: New Horizons in Muslim Analytic Theology. We're actually exploring these uh, uh, questions of like, well, well what, you know at the sort of academic level how would we set up a kind of islamic epistemology today how would it be defensible what would what does justified belief mean and so we're kind of engaging some of these questions and we've got a um a symposium that is um uh, an international symposium actually um next um uh, week or next sorry next month uh in, in sorry in, in uh, early july um we have um uh, uh we have that in cambridge and we're going to have a number of scholars from the Christian tradition, from Islamic tradition, and actually debating and discussing these questions of like theory of knowledge. So it's uh, it's been a good project, and um, uh, you know I think it's something we can uh, take forward. We're looking we have a volume. We've had two <laughs> workshops, uh, one on the pre-modern Islamic tradition. We've had a second workshop workshop on the uh, 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 sort of um, theistic um, uh, conversation between uh, Christianity and Islam and Judaism. And then uh, the final one will be kind of constructive and looking towards the future. So from that, there's going to be a book that will have about maybe 20 chapters 
going into this in a lot of detail. So we really hope to sort of make a big contribution to. Well, that, that's it's extremely, uh, extremely heartening to hear that. And I was just reflecting as you were giving that very welcome news is that in the West anyway, uh, by which I mean Europe and the United States, uh, historically, there haven't been these debates between Muslims uh, and Christian uh, scholars at all. That, but these debates have existed in the, in the Muslim world for centuries. In fact, they're, they're a part of the intellectual furniture, ongoing dialogues, debates between Christian Jews and Muslims on these subjects. But in the West, they haven't existed for reasons we won't yeah. go into. To hear them now beginning to happen, I mean, not just happening today, but, you know, yeah. recently, it, it, it is a, a civilizational novelty for the West uh, in, in looking in the, the broader perspective, uh, although it's been pretty normal in the Muslim world for, for many, many centuries. So it, it's great that it, it is it is happening now. And, and also it, it gives an alternative kind of model for the, the, the more public kind of polemical uh, posturing between Christians and Muslims when it comes to theology, uh, yeah. you know, one refuting the other, of course. And I, I plead guilty to have been involved in that too. Um, but the, the, this, this dialogue where, where there's attempt to a collaborative uh, a, a exercise academically is, is a lovely alternative to, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be involved in polemics, but this is a, a lovely alternative uh, uh, track to go down. Yeah, because, yeah for sure. Uh, I mean, yeah. It certainly suits my, despite despite the polemical nature of us reflecting on this, despite the sorts of polemics of Amatridi himself, my own feeling, you know, and my own background, I'm a convert and so on um, as well. Um, you know, I kind of do sort of naturally want to seek kind of a more collaborative and more kind of less, a less oppositional stance between these traditions. And I want to find, well, where's the common ground? And even if there are these debates, how can we like uh, uh, engage in them in a kind of, um, uh, a, a kind of productive way, and I do think that the what Christians—I mean, obviously Christians are the, are the main interlocutor here, being the more established in philosophical theology and just generally, obviously, dominant in, numerically in in the West. That I think that what you have between Christianity and, and Islam in terms of shared theism mm. and some and share and often shared values mm. uh, based on that theism ultimately is a, a lot more than what's you know, that there's a lot more in common, especially in, you know, in the context of the kind of society today, than what's kind of these divisions on these certain points of creed, which I saw, so I, I would, I would really urge, you know, there to be more collaboration and more shared understanding in the project of, you know, of this kind of, 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 of a broadly shared vision of like, you know, human, humanity, God, you know, moral morality, and these kind of things, as opposed to kind of, Mm. The sort of, you know, this kind of the sort of atheistic worldview that's, you know, and, and the kind of cultural, various culture war that gets associated with that, which is quite uh, often quite disturbing. So it's, it's an interesting area and hopefully there can be collaboration as well as obviously uh, uh, firm, firmness on the points that need to be uh, upheld uh, uh, from, for example, from an Islamic standpoint. Yeah, uh, that, that word firmness is, 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 is there too. And it's yeah. not just... Um, uh, to, to use that dreadful cliche, you know, a kumbaya, let's all hold. Yeah. And, uh, no, no, I, I don't believe in wishy washy. No. Mm. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not into a wishy washy. Oh, there's, you know, uh, no. I think there's very clear dividing lines. There's very clear points, but ultimately, these are points about commitments held in faith that everyone agrees. Well, you know, in in in, in on the day of judgment or you know in the life to come, these things will be, you know, the, the yeah. truth. And will the be clear. Is 
Because they God will make it clear about those things about which you disagreed, and um, I mean, which is great, by the way. That's but the, a little bit frustrating yeah. that it's not made clear. But anyway, yeah, but but that's, 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 that's Quranic. I mean, the the Quranic yeah. position is, you know, is 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 to you know is to actually um, leave those things to be sorted out in the hereafter. Exactly. And 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 to and to basically, you know, you, you put forward your own case, you have your own commitments, and ultimately God will sort it out. But it's it's, it's so so we're clear, you know, there's no there's no kind of dissolving of these differences, but they're points of faith, and ultimately, as we've been saying, you know, they're they're probably not gonna reach definitive rational resolution in this world. No. You know, because and, even and, 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 however and, good your argument told, we're told not to expect it. That's the whole yeah. point. You, yeah, you, yeah, you yeah. have to wait for it. So we we have to live with disagreement uh, yeah. and polemics it's just yeah. for the time being yeah no, I, I agree and then and then so we, with that said there's so much benefit to be had from having a, a conversation oh, and, yeah. you know and i and i count um, my colleagues in in academia you know as as you know you know as as close co- colleagues as friends and you know and I, and I have loads of differences with them but that's not the the point is that we we we're, we're in a collective uh, uh, inquiry of knowledge and there's there's much more to be shared than to be uh, uh, to be argued over. So I think I agree with this over some of the, you know, the kind of, when I, I'm not in this, in, in the, I'm the kind of Dawa scene, but when I see what's going on in the Dawa scene, uh, uh, I'm often kind of quite shocked at like, you know, it, it can be quite, quite, quite negative, quite harsh. I mean, obviously there might be a place for it, but I often feel some of these moves that are being made are quite counterproductive. And Yeah, no, there's un- undoubtedly, uh, there can be a spirit of negativity, uh, a, a kind of dark place in some of these um, yeah. expressions of dawah, uh, yeah. not all of them by far, yeah. but yes, I mean, they're, they're, they are known, I'm not mention names, but... Um, yeah, no, no uh, need to really uh, do that. But, uh, but yes, it exists because human beings, some of the religion can make a person into a, a great saint, or it can actually... Activate a darkness within and give an opportunity yeah. for that darkness to express itself in religious terms, and that can be uh, awesome to behold when it happens. Uh, to, to be feared, um, uh, and um, Timothy Winter's written eloquently on this very point, actually. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's just to say as well that you know, obviously, some of what you know it happens in in Dawa, and I'm sure it's the same as the case in kind of Christian mission. Yes. Um, there's also going to be, um, you know, there's going to be things that do change lives, and you know. Um, you know, people feel you know benefit from from dawa, and and you know, and I, and I, you know, we, we're, it's not. I'm not against you know being there being a more popular expression of things, but I do urge people to kind of seek understanding and knowledge uh, first, and then go out with with, with wisdom, as as Allah says in the Quran, uh, to, to to sort of preach and engage with 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 wisdom. This is the uh, key key thing, I think. Gosh, that's a, that's a beautiful um, ending there, if I put it that way, to, to, to summarise. Yes, with wisdom and with beauty, but with knowledge. Start with knowledge uh, and, and then express it with wisdom and, and beautiful speech. Uh, that's very Quranic, of course. Uh, yeah. and ec- excellent. Uh, a reminder. Thank you, uh, Ramon, for that reminder. Um, so um, in conclusion, I, I will, I'll just say I, I will link to Ramon's website. He has a website um, which is worth visiting, uh, listing all your work because you've written quite a lot apart from another book and loads and loads of articles. Uh, so I'll link to that in the description below. Also, you can follow Ramon on Twitter um, at Raymond. Is it Raymond L. Hart? Ramon L. Ramon R. Uh, I. So capital I. I. Sorry. Yes, yeah, capital I. Um, if you search my name, you'll probably it'll come up. Uh, oh, yeah, this is true yeah. enough. Uh, announcements about his work along with his reflections on Islamic studies and related interests and he's active on Twitter I know because I follow him 
Um, this sounds a bit sinister. I don't mean to. Um, I will link. I will link to uh, the publisher's website. This is Edinburgh University Press, uh, where the book we've been discussing is freely available to download. Um, so you click on the link. I've done it myself. And uh, you basically purchase it, but it's zero charge. It's like zero, zero, zero. And then they email you the PDF. But you have right. some exciting news about that very point, don't you? About yeah, uh, I just wanted to say um, you can also, as well as the PDF, you can get um, ebooks. So you can have something that will work for Kindle if you are a Kindle reader. You can get, I think you have to get the Mobi choice. You know, there's different choices depending on your e reader. You can get Mobi, you can get EPUB. Um, that's free as well. So it's it's not just and it's the PDF. So there's a, and then this is all thanks to the John Templeton Foundation, which funds our research project. Um, as the book is part of the outputs for that project that I was mentioning with our international symposium, um, then you can then you know thanks to JTF you can have the book for free. Um, there's also um, a paperback coming in February of the book for those who do like a hard copy. It should be a more affordable price. Um, I do recommend look out for the St. Andrew's Day sale Edinburgh does every year. They give all the books for half price. So you could oh. even pick up the hardback for half price uh, yeah. or the paperback when it when that comes around uh, for even cheaper. Um, and and also look out if you are interested in this topic, uh, look out on the, uh, you know, on our Twitter or on Cambridge Muslim College um, website and so on. Um, our, our project page, you can actually can attend. There's limited tickets to attend the symposium. That we're running in Cambridge oh, 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 in, in okay. early July. Um, it's not, they're, they're, they're launching very soon. These tickets—they're not cheap because it's a full, you know, academic conference. How, how, how much, how, well, what's not so, cheap? What are we talking so not about? cheap. So it is, it, the, the tickets are—it's um, fifty pounds a day um, for registration for those yeah. who are interested. And that's that's not a profit. That's covering costs at the Muller Institute in Cambridge with oh, a lunch, yeah. with full refreshments throughout the day. Oh, that's nine to, nine to that's nine to five that. academic talks on epistemology that, so it sounds anyway. like value for money I'm afraid. yeah it's value for money i mean it's, 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 <laughs> this is what it, any i mean for those who are not in the kind of conference and academic scene be like 50 pounds a day and there's two days you know but if you uh, uh have have gone to academic conferences this is how much they do cost and yeah, yeah. and actually the muller institute is very nice surroundings and it will be a special event of the you know cambridge muslim college and also uh, of this kind of we've got and also we've, we're flying in you know, major epistemologists from America, um, from, you know, we've got scholars, a scholar from Turkey, um, we've got others from the UK. So we've got scholars, top people, basically, who are going to wow. be debating and discussing as well inshallah, as... Well. I, I will, inshallah, I'll come along as, as well. That sounds, oh, it'll be good to see um, you. Uh, my in, cup of tea, to be honest. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, fantastic. Well, um, maybe we'll conclude, conclude there. Um, so uh, thank you very much indeed for delightful talking to Dr. Ramon Harvey of... Um, Cambridge Muslim College. Uh, previous to that, you were at the Ibrahim College in yeah. uh, East London. Uh, you were a lecturer there. I think that's where you wrote most of your book, actually, I think, or you were based Yeah, on. yeah. It, well, I mean, yeah, that's the... Because I, cause I, I was... Um, I was a, I was a research fellow in, in, in Cambridge Muslim College even back in 2014. Oh, right. I went to Ibrahim College, and then I, as part of the Aziz Foundation, I was a visiting lecturer in Cambridge. So I've been kind of between the two, but yeah, uh, I was largely based at Ibrahim College while writing the book and then just yeah. at the final stages uh, uh, last year i became full-time faculty at uh, the cmc um right. also teaching theology so um yeah it's been uh, it's been a good journey and thanks for hosting me no it's been it's been an absolute delight an absolute pleasure thank you uh, very much again i say i would delight so i will link to uh, your website and to the uh, free uh, download of the book transcendent god rational world 
and Materidi theology. I read parts of it. It is to be expected. It is a very advanced text. Uh, it's not an introductory text at all, in my view. I mean, yeah, you, you if, if you didn't know anything about theology, you're not going to get it at all. I'm, I'm just being very frank here because it just yeah. is. Um, that is true. It's not. It's not meant to be an introductory text. Um, no. Uh, you know, there, you know, there are other texts that go into more introductory matters that would be much helpful, much more helpful to read first. Yeah. But but the great thing is, is make, the vast yeah. majority of my viewers on blogging theology are already established theologians and philosophers, so they will uh, <laughs> all 141,000 of them. Um, yeah. So um, I'm sure that they, they, it will be a breeze for them and a, and a, a delightful breeze as well. So um, I think on that note, we will. Um, conclude and uh, again thank you very much sir for your valuable time your expertise and it's been a real pleasure uh talking to you from cambridge so thank you very much until next time yeah okay take care